0: Thank you. The parents in the group can appreciate how incredibly gratifying (laughs) it is to be introduced by a spiritual son. Uh, My husband and I both teach at the seminary, and some weeks of ours are like, I'm sure, weeks of yours, where you're like, why are we doing this? And then we come to Mass on Sunday and say, oh, okay, (laughs) that's why we're doing this, and we're clearly not doing it too badly, so, um, all right, today... um, I am really pleased to uh, be able to share with you this, this great treasure, this uh, book of Carol Houselanders. Let me just tell you a little bit about her. Her dates are 1901 to 1954. So she lived through a time uh, when people thought, it can't ever get any worse than this. <laughs> OK, so we have something in common with her already. <laughs> She was a very prolific writer in the 40s and 50s, but the kind of writer who showed up in the Catholic magazines and stuff. So once they stopped running her, she kind of dropped out of sight a little bit. Um, She was very well known at the time and deserves to be very well known now. Uh, She was, uh, for a living, an artist. Uh, She did a lot of wood carving and woodcuts, and she was... The, one of the first people I've uh, heard of who was doing what we would now call art therapy with refugee children and adults uh, who, who were c- fleeing uh, to England from Europe. So she um, had a practical side as well as a um, spiritual side, and they were actually the same side. Uh, she never married Uh, But a lot of her reflections are um, very deep reflections on the um, kind of prophecy that's inherent in, in pregnancy, even though she never experienced that herself. And I think a good model for all of us of that the human experience, although we don't all have every part of the human experience As human beings, we have access to all of that. And, and, you know, we shouldn't shy away from meditating on the meaning of experiences that we might ourselves not have, right? God has given those to us um, through the other people who have them. Uh, All right, so the Read of God itself was written during World War II and was published in 1944. And every once in a while, she will Stop in the middle of some reflection and say, "Isn't it strange that I'm uh, that I'm writing that as bombs are dropping?" You know, so she's really experiencing this um, attention to the world, um, and but then um, seizing. Uh, the opportunities that she has to uh, let that go for a little bit and and think about what's um, eternal. The title of the book, uh, The Read of God, so it's R-E-E-D, like the reed by the side of the river, okay, um, that's an image that she uses uh, to, d- to describe Mary and to... Uh, Think about aspects of Mary's life that she thinks we are called to imitate. We'll be talking about that more in a little bit. Uh, For any of you who haven't read the book, but might want to, um, I'll I'll just warn you, it is not a page turner, right? There is no plot, right? Okay. It's a much more meditative read, and that's, uh, that's, I think that's how she wrote it. So, um, if, if you do read it and find yourself reading one paragraph and then feeling like, okay, I'm full, and, and uh, you put it away until the next time you have a chance to open it, I, I think that's the way it should be read. If you try to read a lot of it at once, uh, it's just kind of overwhelming. Uh, in the introduction to the book, uh, Houselander talks about her early understanding of Mary. And um, how Mary kind of freaked her out because she was just so perfect. And uh, she knew that she was supposed to try to imitate Mary, but she had no idea what the content of that would be. <laughs> right? uh, so uh, she, she just found Mary kind of uh, puzzling um, and turned to other saints to, to kind of the other saints that seemed to her to have more flesh. There was more detail about their lives and their thoughts, right, and she found that more accessible. But she came to realize, she says, that all of those other saints are so particular and they have their own lives and you can't really imitate them. Right, because they are so particular, and our our call is to be the saints that we are called to be. Right, and that's not going to be in the 13th century teaching for the Dominicans. Right, <laughs> much as I might like it to be that to be my call, it, right, it just isn't. Uh, so she came to see Mary as the the one seat that we can all imitate, and I just want to read a little bit to you. Uh, from the introduction Uh, she says uh, it is Our Lady and no other saint whom we can really imitate. All the canonized saints have special vocations and special gifts for their fulfillment. Presumption for me to think of imitating St. Catherine or St. Paul or St. Joan if I have not their unique character and intellect which indeed I have not. Each saint has his own special work, one person's work, but Our Lady had to include in her vocation, in her life's work, the essential thing that was to be hidden in every other vocation, in every life, right, in our lives. The one thing that she did and does is the one thing that we all have to do, namely, to bear Christ into the world. Nothing but things essential for us are revealed to us about the mother of God, right? So little is is told to us, really. The fact that she was wed to the Holy Spirit and bore Christ into the world. Those are her two essential features. And those are the features we are called to imitate. Our crowning joy is that she did this as a lay person and through the ordinary daily life that we all live. Through natural love made supernatural as the water at Cana was, at her request, turned into wine. Okay. So for Houselander, Mary is the saint of the ordinary. She says, isn't it, you know, if you got this message that you were going to bear the, the son of God, right? The Messiah was coming and he was coming in your house. Wouldn't you expect a lot of stuff to happen, right? You know, angels would come and make a very fancy place for the baby to be born and all kinds of stuff like that. None of that happened, Right. Mary receives this announcement and gives her fiat, and everything is different, and yet nothing is different, right? The arrangements with Joseph are exactly what they were before. Uh, She's living exactly as she did before. Joseph finds out that she's pregnant and kind of freaks out, right? It's all very ordinary, So, House Lander thinks that part of what God is teaching us through that is that we don't have to wait for trumpets and stuff <laughs> to start living a life that is, is pregnant with Jesus. That's going to happen in our ordinary lives. And so, if we're waiting for trumpets... <laughs> We should stop waiting, right? and just 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 start. All right, so in in this book, part of what uh, Houselander reflects on is this cycle that Mary herself goes through in a kind of paradigmatic way, and that she thinks it will be spiritually helpful for us to see ourselves as going through. And the cycle basically has four steps. The first step is emptiness. Okay, and this is actually the title for conference one. So have you seen the really cool uh, aid we have um, to assist us? So conference one, it's page three. Emptiness, fiat, advent, and then the fourth that we're going to talk about a little later is seeking. That Mary starts with emptiness. Okay, what the heck does that mean? That sounds a little scary. House Linder says there's really two kinds of emptiness. There's the emptiness of alienation, of not being related to anything, right? And that is clearly not the kind of emptiness that Mary had, but that is the kind of emptiness that a lot of us have, right? That, that the world is just so noisy and crazy and fast and we just don't feel connected to anything. And then we start looking for, well, what do I fill that up with, right? And there's a, plenty, there's a whole industry built up around um, informing us that, oh, if you just buy this or this or this or this, right, that'll fill up that emptiness, right? And then it really doesn't, okay? The kind of emptiness that, that Mary already had and that we may need to cultivate is the kind of purposeful emptiness. Emptiness for a reason, right? Preparing a space to be filled with what ought to fill it, not just what rushes in to any vacuum that we have. The purposeful emptiness of receptivity, of saying, okay, I'm ready. I'm not so full of my own projects that I can't pay attention to something from the outside. That's the kind of emptiness that Mary had and that the Holy Spirit then was able to fill. Part of the reason that the church has this habit of, of sponsoring retreats is precisely to cultivate that kind of emptiness, right? To get away from the stuff that tends to fill up our, our minds and our days and, and just kind of get out of that a little bit and um, notice, gosh, I, there's space here for something else, <laughs> right, okay? I don't have to just be completely um, caught up with those other things. What we want in a, a day like this or any, any kind of um, spiritual quietness is to withdraw into a silence and emptiness that doesn't separate us from other people or from God, but clears out a space in which we can be related to other people and to God, okay? And that it's, it's precisely in that um, kind of decluttering that more authentic ways of being related uh, can arise. So hours of silence, Eucharistic adoration, I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to um, being able to do adoration in the church once it's uh, there. That time is really for, first of all, Kind of establishing that emptiness, that receptivity, right, and then uh, seeing, right, what what does God want to fill that up with? That purposeful emptiness, that receptivity, can be destroyed at least temporarily by filling it up with trivia, right, which is what a, a lot of us do, right? Just oh. You know, what just happened on the news? Uh, What's the score for that game? What's this, what's that, right? Why did he just look at me like that, right? Just all this kind of trivial stuff that we tend to fill the space up with, okay? It can also be destroyed by being too set on my purpose. Sometimes we get a really rigid idea about what I am supposed to be doing right? And sometimes that's what's filling up the space that, that God is hoping to fill. So part of the purpose of, of kind of cultivating the emptiness is to maybe also let go of that. Do, do, am I fixed on some purpose? I'm sure I have, and maybe I do have it, right? But can I, can I make space to kind of entertain? Is there, is there something else or something more or something different, right, that, that I might be called to? Okay. We need to be able to say yes, to say fiat, to what God wants to fill us with. Right, that to me is what is so surprising about Mary, If she was 14, 15, 16. If somebody had come to me at 14, 15, 16 and says, here's the plan, what do you think, right? <laughs> I would have been like, I got my own plans, right? <laughs> right, okay, it's really amazing about Mary that she was able to um, just accept the idea that somebody else could have a plan <laughs> that she was meant to uh, be part of, right, uh, and that her consent was wanted for. One of my favorite paintings of the Annunciation is in the basement over at the Denver Art Museum. Um, they've got the, it's the Crest Collection. You, you know that they have so much stuff that they can't put it all out, right? So a few years ago, they, uh, they did have a special showing of all these uh, pieces in the Crest Collection. And uh, one of them is this really, cool Annunciation where Mary is sitting there and I don't know if it's great art but but you know she's sitting there she looks a little pinheaded so I, I'm not sure I would I would love this one but but then you you look up in the line uh, to to uh, what's coming down to her right as 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 uh, The conception of christ is taking place and this this is the this is just before that right so the angel is talking to her and she's just giving her fiat and up in a cloud is god the father all dressed in pink it's really cool and he's going like this right he's waiting to hear her fiat right? The all-powerful, the infinite, right? The, the, the omniscient who already knows exactly what's going to happen, right? But he's waiting for her to say it, right? That's amazing. That means something, right? That it, Mary doesn't just get bowled over. It's not just emptiness and then wham, right? It's emptiness and then fiat, right? Consent, yes. I want to be filled with what you wanna fill me with. Okay, so that's the second step is the fiat. And then after that comes advent, right? The coming and the, uh, Jesus comes, Jesus is conceived, but he's hidden for nine months, hidden. So Mary's aware of him. At some point, Joseph becomes aware of him. Others are aware but the, his life is hidden in Mary. There's nothing public happening. Houselander thinks we have to cultivate that private growth of Jesus in ourselves. Partly because the world is so crazy. Once we see for ourselves the truth of the good news, we we really feel an imperative to get out there and share it for sure but we have to have the patience to let Jesus grow within ourselves just like Mary did and not try to rush that too much right and try to share this with somebody else because one of the things houselander thinks every one of us is God's favorite right Every one of us is God's favorite, and he never thinks it's a waste of time <laughs> to, to be growing in one of us, right? He's never saying, would you, would you just hurry, just eat me some more, right, so I can get out there to those other people who are the really important ones, right? No, right? We are all infinitely important to him, and he's very happy to, to uh, have us privately cultivate right, his, his growth within ourselves. And only then do we get to the fourth step, the seeking, the the looking for where Jesus wants to go with me. One of the traps that we can fall into, again, is the trumpets. Something really fancy has to be happening. And House Lander wants us to to get over that, right? She says, it is really through ordinary human life and the things of every hour of every day that union with God comes about. This became very clear to me in a a kind of an extraordinary experience. Um, Those of you who have kids uh, have been through potty training during mass, right? It's a lot of fun, okay? So you've just settled down, and then the toddler who's who's sort of working on mastering this of course says, potty, right? Because you, you get to get up and go, right? But there's that stage in potty training where you always take the kids seriously, right? And even if they're just goofing around, right? You just go with it and take them to the potty. Well, my, my daughter Rachel is developmentally disabled, And one of the side effects of that is that all of her development takes quite a bit longer than a typical child's. So where for some people that phase was like three or four months, for us it was three or four years of potty. Okay, let's go. And I used to be very troubled by this, right? This is really disrupting my mass, right? And at the time we were going to uh, St. Vincent de Paul, Rachel kind of takes to different places, and after a while, she starts really fretting someplace, so we go find someplace new, which is how we came to you, But and I thought once we moved into the gym, she would certainly start to fret, but she likes it here, so hopefully she'll be okay when we move over there, right? <laughs> so, uh, yes, so she's the one who, if you go to the 11 o'clock mass, she doesn't get uh, personal uh, quiet prayer. She thinks there should always be speaking or music happening, right? So she's quiet as long as they're speaking or music, but as soon as the, as we have silence, hers is a little voice from the back going, no, 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 and then maybe culminating in chicken and fries, right? Because <laughs> she's focused on what's going to happen next. So any of you who come to Mass and your kids are noisy, God bless you, please keep coming, right? I need, I need the cover, right? Okay. And never, never feel bad, people are very patient, right? Okay, um, and hopefully your kid won't be doing this at 19. And if, if they are, then, you know, God bless you, that's great. Anyway, back when Rachel was, was littler and uh, we were working on using the potty um, I would end up in the cry room at St. Vincent's and then in the bathroom at the back of the cry room in St. Vincent's. And any of you who've been there, its it, it clearly was not planned this way. It's just this a really long strip of kind of three by 18, it seems like, with a sink at one end and a toilet at the other. And it's kind of dingy and dark, right, and not the place that you really want to go for spiritual uplift while you're at mass, right? Okay, so I used to have these kind of rules in my head for uh, what I need in my spiritual life, right? And one of them was, it's okay if we miss the homily, right? (laughs) We we can spend the whole homily here on the potty, right? (laughs) <laughs> but once we get to the creed, I need to at least get back out into the cry room, right? And that was just this rule I had in my head that, that then I, I was completing my spiritual stuff. So one day, uh, one Sunday, we're, we're back there, and you have to imagine the scene. Rachel's very petite, and we did not take the Elmo uh, potty seat insert with us to church, okay, which we had at home. So at the church's toilet, right, her little bottom would just fall right through there, okay? So you had to kind of hold her on there. And she would sit for a very long time, and it's very uncomfortable to sort of stand there holding the hips of this tiny person. So I would end up kneeling down on this kind of grungy floor holding this small person on this toilet, right? how dignified is that? Right? So one day we're doing this and we've been doing this for a very long time. And I keep saying, are you done? And she keeps saying, no, right? Are you done? No. So we're sitting there, sitting there. And all of a sudden I hear the people in the cry room saying the creed. So I try to say it with them. And I'm kind of mad, right? That uh, all I want, Lord, is just to be able to be out there for the creed. And here I am, stuck here doing this. And I'm kneeling. I'm holding this precious little person. I'm looking at her smiling face. And I hear myself say, he came down from heaven. And it was like those things in the movies you know, where it's like, he came down from heaven, right? I don't know how to do that. But, but it, it reverberated just like that for me. And I suddenly realized, God came down from heaven. I don't have to be out where there's no dust, <laughs> right? He came down to the dust. And look at what I'm doing. I'm kneeling in front of this precious, precious child. This is just as precious as a tabernacle, right? Trying to help her to achieve this life skill, which is really important. What else should I be doing, right? And I suddenly realized I really needed to get over myself and my rules about uh, what it means to do something that's spiritually fulfilling, right? And to recognize this incredible opportunity that was in my hands, literally, right? I think we're all called to notice that and that some of the stuff that just seems so ordinary and so repetitive um, and so mundane, (laughs) right? That it just doesn't seem to have any meaning. Those might be the things that are the most meaningful, that, that God is really wanting to enter into and to transform, right? I became a much calmer parent after that, <laughs> right? Everything gets easier, and it's easier to put up with the incredible repetition. The dishes are dirty again, Right? The grocery shopping has to happen again, right all the mundane things that we find ourselves doing over and over again those might be exactly the things that 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 Jesus wants to do with us right? The heroism of everyday life right house Lander calls it we have to appreciate. Right? what it is that we're doing in our everyday lives. Part of the trouble with that, though, is that we don't have a whole lot of control over that, over what our days are filled with. And that was the source of my resentment, right? What do I want to do? What do I want the spiritually uplifting, nourishing thing for me to do to be? Probably not kneeling in front of toilets. But that was what I got right? And, and as long as I was resenting it, I wasn't growing in it, right? Okay, so there was a sense in which I had to be emptied of what I thought I should be doing so that God could get my attention to see, look what's right in front of you, right? And then it's, wow, <laughs> Right? House Landry thinks it's also very important to be able to realize how absurd we are, right? Like, okay, yeah, you and your rules. We'll get back to that. Okay, we often have no choice, no uh, control over what it is that we heroically suffer, right? And we have to be able to give over to that. That's part of what we have to say fiat to. This is not what I would have chosen for myself, Lord. Right? But it's, it's what through my life you seem to have chosen for me. So help me to say fiat to this and then let you come to me in it, right? She, uh, okay. All right, I'm just trying to keep track of the time. I think we're good, all right? 9.45, break one, music is played. All right, five minutes. Okay. Uh, the Read of God is one of three images that um, House Lander gives to, to reflect on the kinds of emptiness and, and receptivity that, that uh, different people cultivate, right? She says, some of, our, uh, some of us have lives that are like nests, Right? They're gathered from these twigs and fluff and feathers and every once in a while a bright color of yarn. Right? Our lives are very homey. Right? They're not particularly difficult. And there's a space in them that has been hollowed out through something just gently sitting there. Right? Some of us get that kind of life. But that's a space then that God wants to fill. Then there are lives that are more like reed pipes, where the reed is growing by the stream and some shepherd boy with a very sharp knife comes along and cuts it, right? And then cuts the other end. And then cuts some holes at the right place. So this is not nearly as comfortable as being a nest, right? But what those cuts then allow is is to use that emptiness, which is natural to the reed, to make beautiful music. And some of us have lives like that, where there's been some cutting. But if we then invite God to breathe through that, beautiful music can come. The third image she gives is that of the chalice made of gold that had to be mined, right? That had to be hammered to get it loose from where it was. And then had to be washed to get all the mud off. And then has to be put in the fire so it can become more receptive. And then has to be pounded into receiving the shape. A few of us have lives like that. Houselander says, we don't get to choose which one, right? We might admire the people who clearly have a chalice life, right? And kind of pray for them in the in the difficulty of receiving all those blows, right? Which allow them to receive Christ so fully. Right? A lot of us are nests. It's not very fancy. But it has just as much space. Right. And it holds things that God wants to fill us with. Okay. So part of what we need to guard against is a spiritual envy. Right. Why do you get to be a reed pipe? Right. And I just have to be a nest. Right. I want to be a reed pipe. Okay. Well, we got it. You got to get empty to that. Right. It's beautiful to be a nest. We should be grateful, right, that our hollow has just been filled by a, a bird sitting on us. That's pretty cool, right? All right, but we have control issues, right? And that's, that can be a, a thing for us. Uh, Houselander talks about a woman that she knows who's, who's dying and who has had kind of a painful struggle physically and who is really mad because she always wanted to be a missionary in africa but god wasted her life and never let her be a missionary in africa she wanted to be martyred by cannibals right and house Linder says it's so difficult because she's she wants to be a chalice right? <laughs> and she doesn't see that if she could accept her her situation a little bit more patiently, she could do as much to evangelize the, the people around her as she would have done in Africa, right? But she's so angry, she's so filled with her own purpose that she's missing that chance. Isn't that interesting? Okay. So, Advent is this time of cultivating emptiness, making a meaningful fiat, God's will be done, and then accepting God and holding him, letting him grow in me, letting him grow in my insignificant life, right? Letting go of noticing that it's insignificant. It doesn't matter to him. Right? Letting him grow in my life. God with me. Break one. Music is play.